Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Unwavering support. As Russia's brutal invasion enters a second year, President Biden sends more aid to Ukraine. It's worth fighting for for as long as it takes. And as U.S. intelligence shows China considering lethal aid to Russia, how will the White House react? I'll speak to National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan next. And United Front? The GOP announces its first presidential debate as a host of candidates consider joining the race. But can they all agree to come together in the end? Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel will be here exclusively. Plus, common goal in a bitterly divided House. We've got our work cut out for us. Two lawmakers from across the aisle are coming together to try to help families across the country. Hello, I'm Dana Bash in Washington, where the state of our union is wondering how long this can go on. This week, Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine entered its second year. Ukrainian leaders say Russian forces marked the anniversary with a slew of rocket attacks, airstrikes and shelling along the front lines as the deadly war grinds on. On Friday, President Biden announced another $10 billion of aid to Ukraine, which the country's fighters will use in a spring offensive. But one year into this conflict, it's still not clear how or when it will end, as both sides insist they will not give up Ukrainian territory. For now, President Biden is ruling out sending Ukrainian F-16, sending Ukraine F-16 fighters that President Zelensky and some top congressional Republicans say could bring a faster end to the war. And we're learning new details about that U.S. warning for China. Sources tell CNN that U.S. intelligence shows the Chinese government is considering giving Russia drones and ammunition, an escalation that could help Russia prolong the fighting. Joining me now is President Biden's National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Uh, Director of the CIA, Bill Burns, says he is confident that China is considering giving lethal aid to Russia. How soon do you believe China could actually start providing that assistance? Well, first, thanks for having me on, Dana. The other thing that Director Burns, Bill Burns of the CIA said was that we haven't seen them do it yet. We actually haven't seen them take a final decision to provide the aid to Russia, and we haven't seen the aid be provided to Russia. So we will watch carefully, we will be vigilant, and we will continue to send a strong message that we believe that sending military aid to Russia at this time when they are using their weapons to bombard cities, kill civilians, and commit atrocities would be a bad mistake, and China should want no part of it. If China does go ahead and give the lethal support that your intelligence shows they're considering giving to Russia, can you please be specific about how the U.S. would respond? Well, again, you're talking about a hypothetical situation because at present, China has not moved forward as far as we can discern. We have not seen them do it. 
And I would prefer to keep our messages to China on this question, what the consequences would be in the private high-level diplomatic channels that we have established to discuss these issues. Secretary Blinken saw China's top diplomat, Wang Yi, just a few days ago in Munich. They had a detailed conversation on this subject. Secretary Blinken laid out the U.S. position and perspective, and I'm going to leave that important and grave uh, set of conversations around the stakes of China coming in behind Russia and their war in Ukraine for behind closed doors. Yeah, so just to be clear, you don't want to say it now on international television, but the consequences, if in fact China does this, have been very directly and specifically communicated to China privately? President Biden has made clear in uh, previous reflections on this issue, because this is not a new issue. We have been dealing with the question of whether China might provide military aid to Russia going back to the beginning of the conflict. Right. The point I was making, Dana, is just that uh, President Biden has said previously, we're not just making direct threats. We're just laying out both the stakes and the consequences, how things would unfold. And we are doing that clearly and specifically behind closed doors. How concerned, just kind of look at this big picture, how concerned are you about these two major U.S. adversaries working together on the battlefield in in Ukraine and what that means sort of more generally about the relationships here? Well, look, the U.S. position in this conflict is straightforward. We're not going to stand by and allow one country to roll over another country and try to wipe it off the mat. And we're going to build and have built a coalition of more than 50 nations to resist that and help the Ukrainians defend their own territory. China's position in this is much more awkward. In fact, there was just a vote at the U.N. General Assembly in which China abstained. They did not vote with Russia. Uh, They were one of a number of countries that just tried to stand on the sidelines. When China talks rhetorically about the war in Ukraine, they, they tie themselves into knots because they know that going all in with Russia in this war in Ukraine would alienate a substantial number of countries that they are working hard to maintain good relations with. So from our perspective, actually, uh, this war presents real complications for Beijing. And, uh, you know, Beijing will have to make its own decisions about how it proceeds, whether it provides military assistance. But if it goes down that road, it will come at real cost to China. And I think China's leaders are weighing that as they make their decisions. President Zelensky is still asking the U.S. for F-16 fighter jets. But President Biden said on Friday that Ukraine doesn't need the F-16s now. I know you said uh, that Ukraine doesn't have the training and the maintenance capacity to use the jets. But is the real reason you're not giving Ukraine these jets because you're trying to balance how far to go in supporting Ukraine without antagonizing Russia too much? The real reason, Dana, is that we are taking a very hard look at what it is that Ukraine needs for the immediate phase of the war that we're in. And this phase of the war requires tanks, infantry fighting vehicles, armored personnel carriers, artillery, uh, tactical air defense systems so that Ukrainian fighters can retake territory that Russia currently occupies. F-16s are a question for a later time. And that's why President Biden said that for now, he's not moving forward with those. So as far as we're concerned, the U.S. effort has got to be to get Ukraine the the tools it needs for the mission at hand. And the mission at hand is to have a successful counteroffensive where Ukraine is able to take back its own territory away from the hands of the Russians. So you're not ruling out giving Ukraine the F-16s at a later time? 
What President Biden said is uh, what goes across the administration. And he was very clear. He said, I'm ruling them out for now. Got it. I want to ask about Crimea. Today marks exactly nine years since Russia illegally annexed Crimea. <clears throat> the Biden administration still repeatedly says that Crimea is part of Ukraine. Uh, you also say that Ukraine gets to define what victory look, looks like. So I want you to sort of give a yes or no answer to this. If Ukraine decided that victory means recapturing Crimea militarily, would the United States support that? Dana, I'm, I can't give a yes or no uh, answer to what is a hypothetical question. Right now, what President Zelensky is focused on is getting into the best possible position on the battlefield so that he can be in the best possible position at the negotiating table. And he spoke as recently as this week about diplomacy. We want to help Ukraine turn battlefield gains into diplomatic leverage. And that requires us to give them the military assistance they need to make those gains. What ultimately happens with Crimea in the context of this war and a settlement of this war is something for the Ukrainians to determine with the support of the United States. But I'm just not going to get into hypothetical questions because what we're facing today is a counteroffensive in the east and the south that we need to give them the tools to fight. And we are doing that. You know, you're talking about supporting Ukraine and you're talking about them taking the lead on how they define victory, which is understandable. It's their war. But the administration is also promising them that America will support them as long as it takes. Can you level with the American people about what expectations should be? Could there still be a full-blown war going on a year from now on the second anniversary that the U.S. is still supporting at the levels it is now? I can level with the American people in saying that war is unpredictable. One year ago, we were all bracing for the fall of Kiev in, the matter, in a matter of days. One year later, Joe Biden was standing with President Zelensky in Kiev declaring that Kiev stands. So I cannot predict the future, and nor can anyone else. And anyone who is suggesting they can define for you how and when this war will end is not leveling with the American people or anyone else. What I can say is that the United States is going to continue to marshal this wide international coalition of countries to provide Ukraine with the tools that it needs to defend itself and to take back territory that the Russians have occupied. And we are prepared to do that. We have the staying power for that. We have proven we can sustain unity. We have proven that we can sustain this level of effort. And President Biden went to Kiev to indicate that our support will be unwavering. Before I let you go, I want to ask about a new Wall Street Journal report out this morning that a classified intelligence report from the Department of Energy concludes that the coronavirus pandemic most likely did not emerge naturally, but it did come from a laboratory leak. Did the coronavirus pandemic start in a lab? Is that what you believe now? Well, Dana, there is a variety of views in the intelligence community. Some elements of the intelligence community have reached conclusions on one side, some on the other. A number of them have said they just don't have enough information to be sure. Here's what I can tell you. President Biden has directed repeatedly uh, every element of our intelligence community to put effort and resources behind getting to the bottom of this question. And one of the things in that Wall Street Journal report, uh, which I can't confirm or deny, but I will say the reference to the Department of Energy, President Biden specifically requested that the national labs, which are part of the Department of Energy, be brought into this assessment because he wants to put every tool at use uh, to be able to figure out what happened here. 
And if we gain any further insider information, we will share it with Congress and we will share it with the American people. But right now, there is not a definitive answer that has emerged from the intelligence community on this question. Jake Sullivan, the president's national security advisor, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thanks for having me, Dana. And the month and city for the first Republican primary debate is set. What will the requirements be for candidates to get on the stage? RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel is here next. Plus, a new bipartisan push in Congress for paid family and medical leave. You heard that right, bipartisan. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. The Republican National Committee this week announced its first presidential debate scheduled for August in Milwaukee. What we do not yet know is what the party will require of candidates in order to participate in that debate. Here with me now exclusively for her first interview since she was reelected chair of the Republican National Committee is Ronna McDaniel. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank you. Fourth term. Thank you. Fourth term. Great to be with you. Uh, thank you. It was a tougher than expected uh, re-election campaign and race. It really exposed some pretty deep divisions in your party. What lessons did you take away from You know, that? I ran on a unity platform and about bringing the party together. And we can't be so vicious and vitriolic with each other that we don't want to support each other in the end. And I chose to run that way. It won. I won two to one. And I'm already working to bring the committee together. But I think this is a symbol of our party. We can't be attacking each other so much that we lose sight of we have to beat the Democrats. We have to beat Joe Biden in 2024. And we may have divisive primaries and dif- differences of opinions. But in the end, we have to settle those to, to win the big picture, which is governing our country and doing the right thing by the American people. Well, on that note, right before you were reelected, the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, praised your opponent, Harmeet Dillon. He called for new blood. Have you and the governor spoken since then? Ron and I have a, a good relationship, and we're going to work well together. Everybody's going to work well together towards 2024. I campaigned with Casey quite a bit during this last election cycle. His wife. His wife, and I campaigned with the governor. So we are going to move forward, and that's what I'm focused on. We cannot be so divided as a party that we lose sight of a border crisis, a fentanyl crisis, an inflation crisis. Most Americans right now are living paycheck to paycheck. They are very much hurting under Democrat policies and under this Biden administration. And the one thing Republicans can do to make sure we don't win is fight each other all the time. On that note, uh, as I mentioned, your party announced that the first Republican debate will be in August in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Will candidates be required to sign a pledge saying that they will support whomever becomes the nominee in order to get on that debate stage? We haven't put the criteria out, but I expect a pledge will be part of it. It was part of 2016. I think it's kind of a no-brainer, right? If you're going to be on the Republican National Committee debate stage asking voters to support you, you should say, I'm going to support the voters and who they choose as the nominee. As RNC chair, if I said I wouldn't support the Republican nominee, I would be removed from office. I would. I'd be rightly removed. It'd be part of our bylaws, and I would be kicked out as RNC chair. Anybody getting on the Republican National Committee debate stage should be able to say, I will support the will of the voters and the eventual nominee of our party. I want you to listen to what former President Donald Trump said a couple of weeks ago in an interview with uh, conservative radio host Hugh Hewitt on this very topic. If you're not the nominee, will you support whoever the GOP nominee is? It would depend. I would, I would give you the same answer I gave in 2016 during the debate. Uh, it would have to depend on who the nominee was. 
So are you prepared to block the former president? Well, he, if he signed it in 2016. I he know. did. Everybody signed it in 2016. But this is about the here and the now. Yeah, he didn't I, commit I to it. I think they're all going to sign it. I really do. I think the voters are very intent on winning and they do not want to see a debate stage of people saying, I'm not going to support this guy. I'm not going to support this guy. What they need to say is, I'm going to do everything I can to defeat Joe Biden. And that means supporting the nominee of the Republican Party. You can't see a scenario where Donald Trump would just skip the debate if he's forced to sign something, saying he support others? I don't want to be on the debate stage. I think President Trump would like to be on the debate stage. That's what he likes to do. And I expect they'll all be there. I want to look at it sort of from the other side of this, which is that others who are not Donald Trump, uh, candidates like potential candidates like former Governor Asa Hutchinson, they're not happy about this requirement. He said, quote, for leaders such as myself who believe Donald Trump is not the right direction for the country. And I said specifically the January 6th disqualified him. What would that would certainly make it a problem for me to give an across the board inclusive pledge? How do you make candidates like like him, given the the reality of what has happened on January 6th, go against his what he's saying is his principle? I think you support the voters. The voters get to choose. And if the Republican voters pick the nominee, then everybody on that debate stage who is running on the Republican National Committee debate in the Republican National Committee primaries should say, I'm going to support the nominee. Listen, I say this all the time, Dana. I am Mitt Romney's niece, and I was appointed to the RNC by Donald Trump. And I would support both, support both of them if they were the nominee of our party over Joe Biden. But I don't know if they would support each other. We have to come together as a party. We saw big races lost this cycle because of Republicans refusing to support other Republicans. And unless we fix this in our party, unless we start coming together, we will not win in 2024. And I am committed to making sure we come together as a party. Understandable. But... At the same time, what you hear somebody like Asa Hutchinson, who is he's no moderate. He is a tried and true conservative Republican effectively saying is you would be asking him to put country to put party over country. You would be asking him to put party. over. Oh, I don't think see it that way. That may be how he sees it. I don't see it that way. I think if the voters choose Donald Trump to be the nominee, if they choose Mike Pence, if they choose Mike Pompeo or Asa Hutchinson, Everybody should support the will of the voters. And we're not going to defeat Joe Biden if we get in this tit for tat of I'm not going to support this nominee or I'm not going to support this one. So that's why we want to put this to bed early. This is a pledge that's been in existence. It was there in 2016. And we should make sure that every candidate on the Republican National Committee debate stage does what I have to do, which is support the nominee of our party. One more question on this. How do you enforce it? Once 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 you get. Um, to the point where there is a uh, presumptive nominee, the debates are going to be over. So how do you even enforce this? We're saying you're not going to get on the debate stage unless you make this pledge. And I think people in our party really want to see that. They want to see us come together. They don't want the infighting. And by the way, it's not a good look, right? If we're fighting each other, what young person, I think of my 17-year-old and my 19-year-old, they don't want to see a Republican Party fighting. They want to see us talk about how we're going to make their lives better. They're going to come out of college with a job. We're going to tackle the border. We're going to tackle fentanyl. They don't want to see us infighting. Let's talk about issues. That's what we need to get back to, and that's how we're going to win in 2024. Any other um, requirements that you believe should be there when it comes to a threshold? On oh, polling? I think there should be a threshold, what, and, and that makes sense. We'll get that out probably closer. What do you think to the it debate? Should be? I'm going to not get ahead of our debate committee. Uh, We've been talking about this for a year and a half, but there should be some threshold. The Democrats had that in 2016. You want to make sure that people are on the debate stage 
who are running for president. We don't want people running for book deals or media contracts or cabinet positions. We want people there who are running for president of the United States. Can you promise, when we're talking about promises now, that whomever the Republican nominee is, ultimately, will accept the results in 2024? I expect that they will accept the results in 2024. I, I'm not, I don't know who that person is right now, but yes, we're going to accept the results um, and we're going to move forward and work to, to govern this country. But I think they're going to accept the results because they're going to be the president. You talked about book deals and other reasons why maybe some candidates have historically wanted to get on the stage other than actually thinking that they could be president. Um, we could have a pretty big stage. It could be a big stage. Do you think that's good for the party to have more voices or will it make it harder to do what you're saying, which is unify the party? Oh, I think it speaks about the deep bench we have. I mean, we have so many great governors, senators, congressional members, business leaders, a former president. We have such a great bench of candidates. I look at the Democrats, what they're doing to limit any competition to Biden. Look at the fact that they just changed their entire primary schedule. They made sure that New Hampshire is gone from being the first of the nation primary. Why? Because Joe Biden came in eighth. So that is a president who's weak, who's worried about competition from his own party, and we have a broad bench ready to run for president. Just uh, one sort of philosophical question that I've been wanting to ask you. Uh, You've seen Florida Governor Ron DeSantis taking a really hands-on approach when it comes to the agenda on uh, what's going on in schools, for example, more cultural issues, pushing to ban funding for diversity and inclusion programs at public university, banding gender studies, uh, trying to strip, actually stripping Disney of some of its authority for those reasons. You also see some conservatives saying that's the wrong approach. That is not the way the conservative philosophy should be because we want government out of your life. What's your philosophy? I think that's going to be up to the voters as as we get closer into this in the, into this process at the state level or the national level. They take that to their voters. I will say, as a mom from the state of Michigan. My kids were masked. They were out of school for two years. They're dealing with deficits. I've seen this in our community. Uh, I wish we had a state like Florida where kids, my nieces, were in school. They got the education they deserved. I think Republicans in general are looking out for kids, things like school choice, making sure that kids have access to good education. Uh, You accuse President Biden of using scare tactics when it comes to Republicans wanting to cut Social Security and Medicare. Mike Pence this past week, who's widely expected to run for president, uh, said that he believes that uh, the speaker, he respects the speaker's commitment to take Social Security and Medicare off the table for the debt ceiling, but that in the long term, they should be on the table. Is that the right approach? Uh, Medicare and Social Security are off the table. Speaker McCarthy has said this. Leader McConnell has said this. This is not up for negotiation and I'm not going to give the Democrats any leverage on this. Is I that what Mike the, Pence is doing? I think the pre- he, Speaker McCarthy and Leader McConnell have said it's off the table. And to see President Biden go in front of the American people and try and scare them was something that he knew wasn't true. It was a lie. Republicans are going to make sure that we honor our commitment to Social Security and Medicare. Before I let you go, I want to ask about something that's going on in your home state of Michigan, sure. which is uh, the person who took, took your old job, you were chair of the party in Michigan, uh, Christina Caramo. She is an election denier. She, uh, on January 6th, uh, talks about the conspiracies that happened. She lost her secretary of state race by double digits. Does she represent your party 
And will her presence as head of the party in Michigan hurt your chances in that very important state? You know, I don't know her very well, and I wasn't at this recent convention. So the delegates chose uh, Christina, but I, I'm committed to Michigan. Uh, it's my state. I wish you were talking about the power being out. We had po- no power for four days. We still have 230,000 people in our state with no power right now. But we have a Senate seat. We have House seats. Uh, I love our great state. And the RNC is absolutely committed to Michigan. And should election denialism be a thing of the past in order to win places like Michigan, especially given? If there's a problem with an election, we should be able to talk about that. I, and I do think you should be able to say, hey, tabulator machine. about 2020? But I think we should be able to talk about issues that we see in elections. We should always be able to talk about that. I, I don't think we should be able to, we should remove that from the conversation if people aren't Absolutely. getting ballots or not able to vote. No question, but I'm but talking I'm about looking the past forward. Election. I'm looking forward to 2024 and how do we win the Senate with, when we have a much better map? How do we keep the House and how do we win the presidency? And I will say the path forward is a united Republican Party. We've got to find our way to be there. That's what I want to be as a leader. I'm going to talk positively. I'm going to be optimistic. And I want to make sure that we're putting a vision forward that lets young people and women and other people look at our party mm-hmm. as something that they aspire to be part of. Well, with the, by definition, a primary race being about talking about the differences, being a united uh, party is going to basically give you a lot of challenges. But I will look forward I'm to, up wa- for the task. to, to I'm watching up for the you. Task. We to, can do it. OK, uh, Rana, thank you so much. Thanks, Appreciate Anna. you coming in. Appreciate it. And what is President Biden's timeline for announcing re-election? The First Lady just gave us a clue. Our panel is going to break that down next. I had to come here and see these wonderful people who have been abandoned by Biden. He's on spring break in Ukraine with his friend Zelensky in the T-shirt. Welcome back to State of the Union. SNL doing their best Donald Trump impression after his trip to East Palestine this week. My panel joins me now. Thank you all, one and all. I want to start with both of you. Nina Turner, you are a uh, a daughter of Ohio. I know you've been to East Palestine. Do you think that the administration is doing enough? No. Uh, The state administration is not doing enough. I'm not pleased with Governor Mike DeWine, who actually drunk some of the water giving people confidence that that water is okay, when in fact that EPA didn't do the deepest dive that they can do to deal with the carcinogens that are there, the air, the water. No, and when I went there, then I saw both fear and anger in the eyes of the people there. I had a local guide, his name is John, he grew up in and around that area and also Jess, and I got a chance to talk to some of the people. And one lady that I talked to, she said, I I never want to see another vehicle carrying chemicals come through my community again. And so while you have some on the GOP side saying less government, you have the residents of East Palestine saying that government is not doing enough. And they have been, not just them, they have been failed by subsequent many administrations. It's not just the Trump administration. It was the Obama administration. Now it's the Biden administration. So now we have the facts. They're out there. The NTSB said this could have been avoided. Mm -hmm. The the thing is, what are we going to do to solve the short-term and the long-term needs of the people? And then just one more point. For the neoliberals who say that the residents of that area deserve what they, they are getting because they voted, for President Donald J. Trump it is abhorrent. Mm. This is about poverty. This is about poor working class 
white people who are enduring some of the same things that poor working class black people endure, whether it's Flint, Cleveland or Jackson, Mississippi. And so I want to lay it out that the cultist behavior in politics right now, it is a sin and a shame that when people are suffering to this magnitude, you got people who will fix their mouths, to quote my grandmother, to say that they are getting what they deserve. What they deserve is clean air, clean food, clean water. They deserve relief both in the short term and also in the long term. David Urban, you are from just over the border in uh, western Pennsylvania. Nina mentioned this. The Trump administration did um, take apart a lot of the regulations that um, would have, at at least in theory, made sure that this kind of thing didn't happen. So, so look, let me just applaud Nina, right? Because Nina and I get along. We're we're, uh, straight 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 bedfellows, right? And and, and so interestingly, like Nina nails it directly, right? So there's plenty of blame to go around on this, uh, on on these kind of, when when these kind of things happen. But what's important is what we do moving forward, right? To take care of the people in in these towns and communities. And and I think that, uh, you know, what what, what the the big brouhaha here concerning the Biden administration is, did, did President Biden, was he empathetic enough? Mm-hmm. Should he have shown up at the outset and said, listen, I feel your pain, something that, something that Clinton, just that the, the, the President Clinton was very good at, right? He, kind of sloughing off these folks saying, well, nobody really died there. It wasn't a, wasn't a big deal. No one died. When you saw those images, this is something that this administration seems to have not really grasped onto. You know, you see the images of Afghanistan, people clinging to the wheels of the planes. Here you see this big black ominous cloud, something out of something akin to Stranger Things episode, right? Mm-hmm. Looming over the poor people of Western Pennsylvania right. and in southeastern Ohio. And and the administration should have been there. They should have had their arms around people saying, listen, we, we know this stinks. We know you don't trust companies. You don't trust the government. We're here so, to help you. So speaking of the administration, yeah. President Biden has still not formally announced that he is running for re-election. We believe, according to uh, sources in and around him, that it could happen in April-ish. At least that's the plan now. But this week, his wife, the First Lady, did not hold back on her assessment of his re-election plans. Take a listen. Is all that's left at this point is just to figure out a time and place for the announcement? Pretty much. God love her. Yeah, look... I, I, I meant what I said. I've got other things to finish before I get into a full-blown campaign. Jeff Nussbaum, you've uh, worked on and off for President Biden for many, many years. What's your sense? Uh, my sense is that he belongs, you know, to, to the Ricky Bobby School of Politics. If you're not rising, you're falling. You know, <laughs> if you're not first, you're last. And so he's, he's wired to run. And why shouldn't he? He has a record of, of accomplishment that's really second to none. And so I I see no reason why he wouldn't. I think the problem that Democrats are going to face is that Biden is not without risk. Um, He would be the oldest man elected president. Uh, There are moments when he seems feisty and ready to fight Republicans. And there are moments that that do leave doubts in the minds of voters who are watching. Whenever you ask voters how they would feel about, say, a Donald Trump versus Joe Biden rematch, there's a very negative (laughs) reaction to that prospect that we could be going through that again in 2024. Um, But the problem Democrats have is, if not Biden, who? That's a huge question mark. The sitting vice president in polls that my firm and others conduct doesn't tend to do very well against potential Republican contenders. There are others on the list Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg, uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom, they've all got issues. And so right now, in some ways, I think Republicans would love to run against Biden. On the other hand, 
I think Democrats have to be a little nervous that if it's not Biden, then who would it be? Do you There's think no that- need to be nervous. I mean, we got to feel people should just jump in. Let's jump in. Let people jump in. You got Marianne Williamson out there saying she may run. So he should we be have, challenged. We have, President oh, Biden. absolutely. He should be challenged. Voters deserve. See, Nina and I agree on everything. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, this, is one, everything. This, this is one way. I, I, mean, I don't that's agree. That's okay. Voters deserve. Right. This is democracy. This is not a, a dictatorship. Voters deserve to have choice. Period. And you know, I, I rock on the freedom fighting side of the ledger. I want to see a robust debate. One of the things that our campaign did in 2016 and also in 2020, I'm talking about Senator Bernard Sanders, is we lifted the debate in terms of what people really need and deserve in this country. And the only way to get that kind of robust debate is to have people on that stage. So on the Republican side, the more the merrier. And on the Democratic side, the more the merrier. What I was going to say is when you look at Nikki Haley's announcement video, when you listen to what Tim Scott's saying, a lot of the message is like new, new, new. And, and I keep thinking, like, yeah, well, new Coke was new, but it didn't do very well. Like, new alone is not necessarily a winning argument. And so you need to put forward something. And, and you know, I'm paying attention to what's going on on the right because I'm, 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 I'm totally in it for Joe Biden. I think he's, he's got the record and, and, and he's done what he said he was going to do. And, and so I think that's powerful. But I think I, I don't see a message. I don't, I don't see a message voters coming out of the other I, side. Is that to convince voters? New Coke, new Coke doesn't work because people like original Coke. And the well, problem people is, like right? original Biden. Uh, <laughs> see, this, is not, about, not so this is not about Coke, though. I don't disagree with Jeff about if it's just new, that's not it. But we need a vision that provides provision for the so people. Before, before we go, you just heard uh, earlier in the program the RNC chair that she say that she is going to have candidates sign a pledge to get on the stage that they would support other candidates. <laughs> Good idea. Well, well, you saw. No, I think it's. I think. It, well, I said I would not. You know, take a. Rana's done a great job running the running the party. It's a very difficult time, but it, it's it's hard to enforce. Right? You saw the clip mm-hmm. right afterwards where Donald yeah. Trump said, "Well, maybe I will, maybe I won't." Right? And if and if you know if he's not going to do it, then everybody else is going to say, "Well, we're not going to disarm." Ten seconds. Does it matter? Republican voters do not want to see their party fight itself. They want to see their party fight the Democrats. Period. Yeah, I would hope they want to see their party serve the people. Period. Amen. All right. Wow. We agree on Look something. Kumbaya. Thank you so much, everybody. <laughs> and could Congress finally make progress on passing paid family and medical leave? A new bipartisan push. That's next. <laughs> The two women you're about to hear from come from opposite sides of the aisle in a deeply divided house. They don't agree on much, but they have found one area where they can get something done. At least they hope so. It's the latest in my series, Badass Women of Washington. A party on Capitol Hill to launch a renewed effort in Washington. We are here to come to some sort of bipartisan solution and for once get this done. You heard that right. You're looking at Democrats and Republicans together vowing to tackle a persistent American problem. No universal policy for paid family and medical leave. The United States is one of only seven nations in the entire globe that doesn't have some benefit when it comes to paid family leave. How is that possible? Yeah, I think that's one of the surprising elements of this is we live in a, you know, the greatest nation in the world, but uh, when you're talking about families, this is one area that uh, we have struggled. And we're talking about countries like Papua New Guinea, Palau, Tonga, Micronesia, Marshall Islands. 
places that many people couldn't find on a map. I think it's, it, frankly, an embarrassment that we are, you know, one of seven nations or so that doesn't have this uh, kind of focus on the family. Chrissy Houlihan is a Democrat from eastern Pennsylvania outside Philadelphia. Stephanie Bice is a conservative Republican from Oklahoma. Their ideologies and districts they represent are very different. What they have in common, they are both moms. I worked for a company 20 years ago that actually provided paid family leave, which was almost unheard of. Bice says she was lucky since 75 percent, three-quarters of the country's workers, do not have access to paid family leave. And if you, if you didn't have the good fortune of working for a company that gave you eight weeks paid time off, yeah. you might have left. There are lots of things that we considered, um, either leaving the workforce or um, looking at cutting back on expenses significantly. You know, we had to figure out how, do, how are we going to make this work. And the economic impact is huge. Huge. You take the woman out of the workforce, they're going to make less money, they're going to spend less money, right? It's a vicious cycle. Houlihan was an officer in the Air Force when she became pregnant with her first daughter. I really struggled because I think that the military's policy at the time was six weeks of convalescence, effectively. Uh, and I know, I remember acutely, that the child care on the base was a six-month waiting list. Mm-hmm. To be really honest, it was one of the reasons that drove me to separate from the military. This month, the White House marked 30 years since the Family and Medical Leave Act, which allows Americans to take time off without getting fired. But Houlihan and Bice say that's not enough. They're working with other bipartisan members, including Texas Democrat Colin Allred, a trailblazer on paternity leave. We, as a conference, have talked a lot about pro-family initiatives and supporting the family, and this is one of the ways that we can do that. The time is now, though. 30 years is too long. We need a national paid leave program. There are bipartisan advocates in the Senate, too, including Democrat Kirsten Gillibrand of New York and Louisiana Republican Bill Cassidy. To be sure... Both parties have tried to pass paid family and medical leave for years, but failed because of deep philosophical differences in how to approach it. We've got our work cut out for us, and I I do think that we have an opportunity-rich environment right now, to use a military term, uh, to make sure that we take advantage of this really special time, honestly, where the majorities and minorities are so small and so slim that it really requires that we work together. That's an interesting point. People from, you know, the outside look at Washington and say, oh, it's so broken. Parties don't cross the aisle to work together enough. You're sitting here together. Mm-hmm. You are trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think more of that happens than people realize back home. This is certainly something that has gained traction over the last several years. We have 33 Republican women now serving in Congress, the highest number ever. And we are fortunate to be at this moment in history, in this moment in time, where there are a critical mass of us, frankly, in many cases women, who are really intrigued and interested in making a difference in this area, and enough history to build upon to make this happen. And up next, a young TV reporter was killed on the job this week. How friends and colleagues are remembering Dylan Lyons. We want to take a moment to remember an up-and-coming journalist who was killed this week. 24-year-old Dylan Lyons was covering a deadly shooting Wednesday in central Florida. And police say a gunman there returned to the scene and shot Lyons along with his cameraman, who is recovering right now from his injuries. Lyons' colleagues at Spectrum News 13 said Dylan loved his job and was particularly close to his mom, whom he thanked on social media at different points in his career. 
We are so sorry for her unthinkable loss and for Dylan's grieving colleagues as well, who are all, just like he was, doing their jobs. May his memory be a blessing. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.